Hey, Michelle, how do you like the new setup? Fancy microphone. Well, it's because we're 40 and we can have fancy things now. Yeah, just don't drink over it. What? Water. Yeah, don't drink over the mixing deck. Well, I'm not going to drink deck? over the mixing desk. Desk? Deck. What's it called? Deck. Okay, yeah. It's deck. You can't say that if you're from New Zealand, though, can you? My dick. My dick. So, anyway, I've got confession. When you handed me my wonderful headset, I saw the R before I saw the L. And I actually thought it was R for Rochelle, not oh, R for right. Oh, you're the cutest thing. You've also found the sound effects, I see. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Let's do another one because... Thank you, everyone. Thank you for my golden golden Globe Award. Oh, I'd it. go for an Oscar. <laughs> of course you would. Yeah, and yeah. Major Bourne. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank <laughs> Rochelle for always being here for me. I'm joking. I wouldn't thank you. Um, uh, let's go on with it. Well, I was going to say today's episode is sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be better Can than our normal shit, wouldn't it? One more. Yeah, go on then. What else are you going to do? That's our outro, you twat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how good I... <laughs> Hi, my name's Emily Chadbourne. And I'm Rochelle Fisher. And we're a couple of Xennials turning 40! Xennials are an often forgotten generation, sandwiched between the Gen X and the Millennials. Not quite one, but not quite the other either. We were brought up on Disney princesses, roller skates and Game Boys. Left to flounder through the grunge era of the 1990s and expected to catch up with tech life in the noughties, how prepared was the Xennial woman for the delights and disappointments of the current day? To celebrate our birthdays, Em and I decided to launch our own mini-series dedicated solely to issues that so many Xennial women face today. From egg freezing to aging to being single, we have interviewed some amazing Xennials with stories to share. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Rochelle. Good afternoon, Emily. How you doing, babe? Oh, great, with this new um, headset and microphone. I know, we've got swish equipment. Ooh. Like, I really feel like a grown-up. Yeah, I feel like I'm living in luxury. Today, our guest is a lady called Jack, and she's going to be talking to us about having a baby without a partner. Ooh. It's a really great interview, but I have been thinking about it. And one of the questions I have for you is, how do you make those massive, massive life decisions? Because to decide that you are going to go through IVF and have a baby by yourself without a partner, that's like a huge decision. And I'm sure a lot of that decision for her was made through a very powerful desire and maternal instinct but like how do you and I child child free by choice how do we make those big life decisions like for example how did you make the decision to uproot your entire life and move to Melbourne I don't know whether I uprooted my entire life because I'd already moved countries so yeah so you moved from Sydney didn't you to Melbourne yeah and I moved from Queensland to Sydney so it's just like you know let's start state hopping I think for me making massive life decisions I go with my gut and it always seems like things just naturally fall into place so it's a bit like getting in a car and every light always being on green oh you're a lucky fucker yeah and so I'm just like okay so I literally one day um had this little niggle about Maybe I should move to Melbourne. So I, a few weeks later, I hopped on a plane, stayed with some of my friends, had a weekend with them. I was like, yeah, I think I could move here. And they're like, well, when you come down, you can come and live with us till you find somewhere. Then I went back to work, spoke to one of the dentists I work with. She's like, oh, I can get you a job in Melbourne, no problem. And, you know, within a few months, I'm in Melbourne. Does your instinct always tell you what to do? Because an example would be, my instinct recently has been telling me maybe to move away from Melbourne, but it hasn't been telling me where to go. It's just this like 
guttural feeling of like, oh, maybe I'm not going to stay here for the rest of my life. Maybe there is a different adventure. Maybe there is somewhere else to go. And when I check in with my inner guidance, it's got nothing else for me. It's like, no, nah, you're going to have to work the rest out by yourself. Is your intuition a bit clearer than mine? Oh, yeah, 100%. Because probably about six months before that, I thought about going back to the Sunshine Coast. And I actually said to one of my friends, I just need a sign. She said, well, darling, just sit and meditate for 15 minutes before you go to bed and ask for a sign. And that weekend, literally, I got offered a better job in Sydney. I got offered a room in a house with some of my friends that was right next to the beach. Just everything fell into place to stay in Sydney within like that weekend. I remember a conversation we had a while ago and you said one thing you admire about me is I just do things. You know, I don't mm. look at the ocean and go, oh, should I go in? Is it going to be cold? But I just get in the ocean and go in. Mm. Yeah, you do, don't you? You don't question. Don't question it. And I think probably you maybe sit and question things too much. Yeah. I actually worry more about other people and their finances and their life than I do about my own. Yeah, you do. It's so weird. I don't, I don't worry about other people at all. And I don't mean that that I don't care about other people. I care about people deeply and I'm a fiercely really? loyal friend, just not to you, but <laughs> to everyone else. Um, of course, I care about my friends and the people that I love, but I don't sit at home and worry about them the way that you do. Mm. But I probably overthink my life in a way that you don't. No, I never overthink my life. Because I just know that I will always be okay. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Like, really, really, just, just know. I'll always be okay. Whatever happens to me, it'll always be right. But sometimes maybe I do rush into things a bit too much. My dad always used to say when I was a kid, I'm like a bull in a china shop. Oh, yeah, my parents used to say that about me. But I'm a Taurian. Are you? So, yeah. I'm an aquarium. No, you're not. <laughs> an aquarium is a place where fish live. <laughs> you fucking well, I am Rochelle Fisher. So That's maybe I'm not. Yeah, maybe I want to be an aquarium. No, you be an aquarium, my love. You I go will. be you. I'm going to be, um, what was the little mermaid called? Ariel? Ariel. I'm going to be Ariel. Oh, I was expecting you to be like Sebastian, oh. the crab. <laughs> Under the sea. Under the sea. Under the sea. Under the sea. With Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. I fucking loved that movie. I mean, horrendous social conditioning. Awful, really, when you look at it. If I had a daughter, I would not let her watch Disney movies like that. So let's talk a little bit about social conditioning just for maybe five minutes. All right, I'll um, put the clock on. Yeah, because you waffle sometimes. You go off into oh, this massive I do tangent. Have a tangent. You do, and I have to keep you strict on time. Here for songs and tangents. Social conditioning. So you grow up with a mum and dad, because when we were in the sort of 80s, people, parents weren't getting divorced, mum and dads were together. More parents were together than, yeah. 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 And you went to school, probably stayed in the same place most people, didn't yeah. really travel around. So you grew up in your family home, then you left, you either got a job, an apprenticeship, or you went to uni, you married your high school sweetheart and you bought a house and had kids yeah that was the blueprint yeah and now it's not and now mm. women are able to have a child purely on their own yes and it's okay for men to go and donate sperm to give that woman that right to do that yes because men are playing a part in this as well sure a great part mm. um i'm all for it i think in the interview which we'll listen to in a moment Jack actually says, you know, these days, families come in all sorts of different ways. Like exactly. That, that kind of strict mum, dad, 2.4 children, dog, white gone. picket fence is gone. And, you know, we are exploring all sorts of different ways to have families. And family units are transient these days. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But it's definitely something that I... I think you and I have, have lived through that transition. Mm. I listened to, and, and I know you listened to the same interview with Miley Cyrus a while ago. Um, she was with Joe Rogan. Mm. And she was actually saying about these Disney princess storybooks and she wanted to rewrite them. And mm. I really do think we, we now need to rewrite. Disney needs to do something else other than the princess being rescued by the man. I think the last few movies have been 
slightly different, haven't they? What's that I don't one? Know. I've not watched any of them. I'll be completely honest. Yeah, I think maybe in the last few years there have been a couple where the female lead hasn't had a romantic interest in that sort of same mm. 1980s way. But we can't deny, I don't think, the, I'm going to say, damage that was done by that kind of consistent and constant and very persuasive narrative that as a woman you need to be rescued by a man and you should probably give up something to be rescued by the man and then once you have been rescued by the man you can live happily ever after I mean for me I've had to work really really hard to constantly almost on a daily basis shift my narrative that I'm worthy as a woman without a partner that I am capable of being nurturing and kind and loving without mm. being a mother. You know, I'm allowed to be the full expression of my feminine and female self without following those social norms that conditioned me into believing that that's where my happiness lay. But that has been a lot of work and a lot of sitting in self-awareness. Yeah, and something that we often talk about is we do sit in self-awareness a lot, both of us. Yeah, we have a very, absolutely. very strict, regimented practice in the morning. First thing we do is we get on our mats and we sit there. Yeah, absolutely. Which a lot of people don't do. And I think if people are not that self-aware, then maybe they are still sat in this narrative that I have to have a man be married for society to accept me. Oh, I completely agree with you. And, and while that narrative is still, I'm going to use the word, rampant out oh, there sound effect there is a sound effect for that, effect yeah. for that but i i don't know which one because oh. all the buttons are different colors and i haven't labeled them yet oh but can i label them yes you can arts, arts and, and crafts. crafts um but i think while that narrative is still sort of prominent in society it will always be the dominant narrative that we have to deal with mm. i think probably legalizing same-sex marriages was a real big breakthrough to break the norm but then you're still uh, in a relationship yeah I think but you know so many people have children in a relationship and then that relationship ends in divorce or separation mm. so I think single parent families are much more accepted and I mean they're basically 50% of the population but I, I agree there is probably still a bit of a, a raised eyebrow when it comes to solo parenting intentional solo parenting yeah. in part I would imagine because parenthood looks really fucking hard and so I think a lot of people that hear a story like Jack's story mm. again we're going to listen to that interview in just a moment you know she's a very strong very capable very independent woman but you know I would imagine that almost every mother I know would be like oh my god what is she doing <laughs> because parenting does sound really tricky however I've also heard accounts from friends who have not had a stable relationship and have said actually the moment that we divorced or we separated or he moved out mm. or we left me and the kids left it actually became much easier to parent my children yeah one of my friends, she didn't go through IVF, but she got pregnant and the guy said, don't want anything to do with it. And she was like, well, I'm having this baby on my own. And she's done incredible because her family are not here either. Mm. So she's really doing this a, a bit like Jack on her own. Yeah, I keep checking in with her like, how are you? And she's like, I'm great. I am so happy. I have this beautiful, healthy baby and I don't have the complications of anything else. Like, it's me. Mm. it's my decisions I can just do this yeah and so I suppose like you and I we're single and sometimes that's incredibly lonely yes and sometimes you do want to get in from work and or in your case you know your house is your work mm. um and say whether you've had a good day or a bad day or just sound things out and you can't mm. but other things are incredibly easy. Like if I want to buy a new sofa, I don't have to discuss with someone the colour of the sofa or yeah, like where I'm going to move this or what I'm going to have. For All those things are so easy. Yes. So I don't have to compromise. And it's like anything in life, isn't it? You choose your hard. 
Yeah. Like, there's a meme that's going around the internet Choose at the moment. Your heart. I'm yeah. Oh, I wish I made that up myself. I mean, David Goggins should have made that up, but anyway. Well, he didn't. Emily Chaborn stole it from an Instagram meme. Oh, how is your Instagram going? Hang on, I don't. This is why I go <laughs> off on tangents because you ask me tangent type questions. Um, yeah, so there's this meme going around, mm. you know, being married is hard, being single is hard, yeah. being a parent is hard, not being a parent is hard. You just choose your hard. And that really resonated with me because, you know, nothing is as reductive as one story. You know, you can't say being a parent is always excellent mm. because it's not no. in exactly the same way that you can't say that, you know, being single always equates to freedom because sometimes I feel really trapped in my singleness. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, it's about having that expansive, compassionate understanding that people are doing family, people are doing child rearing, people are doing life the way that they are doing it. And there was both light and dark to the way that they are doing it, as with everything in this world. I really love that. In fact, that's going up on my whiteboard this week. What? Choose your hard. Yeah, choose your hard, baby. So, on that note, I was scrolling the internet in my very limited screen time that I now have. And well done. Thank you. And I was like, what to do when you're on your own at 40? And the first thing that comes up is a picture of people that are probably not yet 40. Um, Excellent. I love it when they use stock photos of 20-year-olds for 40-year-old subjects. Yeah, two men, two women with glasses of wine sat around a dinner table looking like they're in Italy or something. Yeah, Yeah, great tans, great teeth. 40 life changes you should make after 40. Oh. I think that needs a sound effect. No, I tell you what, I think it's this one. No, <laughs> that's the one. Sorry, just you'll just have to be patient, but we'll work out which button controls which sound effect, probably by the end of the series. Number one, stop pretending to enjoy things you actually hate. Oh, I did that years ago. Number two, don't be shy about the things that you are into. Mm, yeah, oh, th- no, hang on, I've got something to say about that. I feel... Not shy about it, but I have definitely had to really sit with the identity shift that comes along from really exploring a spiritual practice, especially when it comes to like Kundalini and chanting and, you know, you wear a headscarf and, yeah. you know, it, it's, a, it's a whole mood, it's a whole vibe. See, that never bothered me, but this is like saying going and seeing a Taylor Swift concert, you know. Well, Who wouldn't want to go and see a Taylor Swift concert? I mean... <laughs> Reinvigorate your relationship with some flirting. I typed in what to do <laughs> when you're single at 40 <laughs> and the really shit answers. Wake up early. I wake up early. Find a hobby. Got plenty of hobbies. Be more assertive at work. I mean, this is just shit. That's just called growing up. Oh, don't stay in a job you hate. Did that last year. It's not even journalism. Add weight training to your exercise plan. I have heard that. Yeah, it is true. It is true. Cook more meals at home. Do oh, that. we had that conversation last week, but we have just gone and got takeout for lunch, though, haven't we? Well, we didn't really get takeout. We had sandwiches from the bakery. That's not really takeout. That's just like grabbing a quick lunch. But the conversation that you and I had was <laughs> that we were only going to eat food cooked by your hands or my hands... Not an angry lady's hands at the bakery. And nothing processed. Okay. Get your clothes tailored. Well, we do anyway because we've got short short. legs. (laughs) Get rid of clothes you don't want. Oh, you're very good at doing that. Yeah. Develop a skincare routine that works for you. You're also very good at doing that. Switch up your makeup routine. That's why I look like a hooker today. (laughs) 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 Find confidence and there's this very happy man. Find confidence. Oh, hang on. I just I just found the confidence <laughs> at the back of the sofa. I've been looking for that. Um, okay, so we're now on like 20. I'll keep a journal. We're now on 27. I'm done. Like, I need to go and find a man because I can't live this life on my own. Well, you can live that life on your <laughs> own, exactly. apart from the flirting. There are a couple of things in here that I think are pretty prominent in our lives. Okay. I think we already do them. Well, I, that's the thing. I, I mean, I... I think as as two single women, we kind of do all right. So I, I, probably the answer that you're looking for is, is non-existent. Yeah, you've yeah. already got exactly what you're looking for. Drink more water, find, adopt a pet. 
<laughs> Can I adopt Theodore? That was number 40. That was their crescendo. That's the mm. one that they went out on. Adopt, adopt a, a pet. pet. Best thing ever happened to me, getting Theodore. Yeah, best thing that happened to me as well. I don't have to pay Theodore? for his <laughs> vet bills or pick up his shit and I get to hang out with the little dude. He's mm. such a dude. But he, he has. He did make me realise how much I don't want to have children. And it's weird because I love Theodore more than I thought I would love him. And I think about him quite a lot. I don't mean really? to sound like a crazy person, but like everything that I do, I'm like, how will this affect Theodore? And I don't mean like everything no, I, I do, but you know, if I want to go away on holiday, I'm like, oh, what would happen to the dog? Or you know, even planning like my weekends, if they're yeah. really, really full, I'm like, well, at some point I've got to get home for the dog. So like you suddenly begin to kind of get this tiny little taste of what it must be like to just constantly be putting somebody else in front of your own needs. So question for you, if you met a guy and he had kids. Oh, I don't think I could. Do you know why? And here's why. I mean, look, who knows? This is all so hypothetical. Mm. Who knows? If Chris Hemsworth knocked on my front door tomorrow, <laughs> maybe. Spiritual Chris Hemsworth, hey? But I also feel if I'm going to be hand on heart honest, Oh, I really don't like the idea of playing second fiddle. Mm. So I'd always said no. Always. It was just like that. No, not going to do it. Then last year, my guy, and I just thought, I can't rule this out anymore because what if they're a really, really nice guy, but they just have to ha happen to have kids. Yeah. But I'm still going to go back to we're also, going to that story. I agree. We probably shouldn't go into the story of your ex. But, <laughs> you know, he also wasn't really the sort of father that you would necessarily want for your children. Because <laughs> yeah, no. that's the catch, isn't yeah. it? It's like the irony is if you're going to go out with a guy who had kids, you would want him to be a yeah. hands-on, involved, devoted father, which by definition would mean that you are second fiddled to the rest of his life. Yeah. And yet you wouldn't want to go out with somebody who wasn't that as a father you mm. wouldn't want to go out with somebody that prioritizes you over their kids no. you actually wouldn't want that and yeah. so that's that's kind of where I find yeah so it's double-edged sword really isn't that's it that's absolutely the terminology for it my long-term ex actually had a child but the child happened to live in the UK and we were in Australia so it was a completely different situation mm. it was quite sad really um but yeah different different situation yeah, and look, every situation is unique. Yeah. And again, there is no situation is one story, is there? No. Like, it's like life is so nuanced and it's so many shades of grey. So you can't 50. make. Stop. You can't make judgments or assumptions about how people are parenting or how they're operating no. their family units. But yeah, I think as a general rule, I am looking for somebody who, like me, does not have the tie, emotional, financial, yeah, geographical of children. Well, I mean, it's a financial thing as well. It's a huge financial, I'm not going to say burden, because burden's the wrong word, but takes a massive chunk out of people's wages. Yeah. I mean, Theodore's um, expensive. Theodore yeah, gets his hair cut more than I do. Yeah, but you take Theodore to the... Um, Groomers. No, to that little sweet shop for dogs. And oh, if yeah. you walk past it, this is to everyone listening. If Theodore walks past the, what's it called? It's called Pet Pantry. Pet Pantry. And Emily doesn't go in. He sits there and she has to drag him. He knows that going in that shop, he gets, and I'm not just meaning treats. No, he I mean gets like, like favourite. Like caviar for dogs. Yeah. Yeah, so he'll sit down. He won't move. Mm. Yeah, I have to pick him up. So on that note, I really want to hear what Jackie, Jack, Jackie, sorry, Jack's got to say. Yes, this is such an awesome, articulate, intelligent, awesome interview. And I look forward to you listening to it. So today I have the wonderful Jack with us on interview. So Jack is a zenial woman who has made the decision to have a baby by herself without a partner and through IVF. So Jack... Thank you so much. Introduce yourself a little bit to start with. No worries. Thanks, Emily. It's great to be here. Um, so I am Jack. I'm 37 years old. I currently um, work at Peter Mac in the one of the executive positions there. 
um, and I've been in Melbourne for about 12 years, but originally from New Zealand, which is where the rest of my family lives. So not only are you planning on having this baby completely by yourself, but you actually don't have any family support here either. Correct. Although if any of them listen to this or if you ever speak to any of them, they will tell you that I'm moving home now that I am having a baby. So interesting. Okay. <laughs> I think my I'm very lucky to have a very supportive and close family. Yeah. Um, who have been aware of, of what um my decisions have been and very supportive the whole way, which has been great. But you want me to tell them that you're not moving back to an yeah, that, that would be great, thank you. <laughs> no at all. What led you to making the decision to have a baby without a partner? Um, it's weird, you know, because I think growing up, I always assumed I would get married and have a family, I think. And I'm not sure whether that was because of what I was surrounded by in terms of my parents have been together for many years. They had all four of us kids. Um, a lot of their friends obviously all married and had kids. My brother and sister grew up, got married, had kids. So um, I, I don't know whether it was just the environment that I was brought up in, that that was something I was always quite drawn to do. I certainly have always assumed I would be a mother. And then when I hit my late 20s, maybe, and, you know, wasn't in a relationship and uh, it probably started to dawn on me that actually maybe things weren't going to go the traditional road for me. And I remember quite vividly saying a couple of times to a few close people, you know, if I get to 35 and I'm still single, I'm just going to do it on my own. Easy suddenly to say turned, when you're 29, right? Oh, very. Because <laughs> suddenly I turned to 35. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then again, you know, where I was in my life career-wise, things were going really well. I wasn't, certainly wasn't unhappy, wasn't seeking for anything more. But also consciously aware that, um, you know, you can't have children late into your 40s, early 50s um, that easily. So if I was going to make this call, it had to be something that I was going to do sooner rather than later. Then I decided that actually maybe I'd go down the fostering route. And I signed up with an agency, have done all the training for that. Um, but COVID hit, so unfortunately was unable to do the house visits. And it was in talking to my older sister, actually, when we were on the beach the last time I was home, so pre-COVID, um, and talking about fostering. And she was like, you know, that's that's all great and, and such a great thing to do. But at the same time, there's, there's something very special about having your child who's your own. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started entering the fostering training, A, I was probably quite naive going into that about what it was all about. And I think the training's amazing just to give you a different perspective. But but the reality that you can care for a child for, for a period of months and then all of a sudden one afternoon it can be over. I think, you know, suddenly I was like, oh, gee, the reality of that may not be as easy for me to attach and detach from as I had thought. So uh, I then went to see a fertility specialist more just to have a chat because I uh, didn't really know what all my options were in terms of egg freezing was considering at this point getting closer about um, having one on my own at this point I'm now 36 so I went to see a fertility specialist in Melbourne and she she was great so first of all we did my ovarian function which was really low and and she said to me you know don't don't stress about it that actually doesn't indicate the quality of your eggs nice. so you know it doesn't it's not a be all end all that you're never going to get pregnant but equally you might want to get on and actually decide what you're going to do yeah and we talked about the pros and cons of egg freezing and for me um you know I'm not a massive fan of the internet dating site at all yeah. um there was certainly no partner for me on the horizon anywhere so in my mind I was suddenly then thinking well what what am I actually waiting for because just because I decide to have a child on my own doesn't mean I'm never going to be in a relationship. Mm. You know, there's still opportunities to be in a relationship and have further children down the track. That's, that doesn't rule that out. Yeah. Equally, just because I, if I fell into a relationship, it doesn't mean that I'm going to have children. So, yes. you know, I think, I think I just decided um, to make the call to do it on my own. You know, it was something that I had always wanted um, something that I felt quite comfortable about. I've been pretty independent my whole life. So it, it wasn't a barrier for me in terms of raising a child on my own. And lo and behold, started the process. I, I think that's something that 
that you just picked up on there that I just want to highlight, which is that just because you are choosing to have a baby by yourself does not mean that you are never going to now be in a relationship because relationships are not just about child rearing. Relationships are about two people who share the same values, who share the same interests, who really adore each other. And for some reason that we're still seeking the answer to love each other and want to hang out for a period of time together, whether that be two years, 20 years for the rest of their life. And I think because women have more options these days, there is a different narrative being sung around relationships now. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that you've just touched on, which is, you know, I'm not putting myself on the shelf. I'm not now out of order for the rest of my life. I'm just listening to my biological clock. I'm being logical and reasonable reasonable and rational about the fact that I am getting towards the end of the window of having a baby. So I'm gonna do it now because I don't need a partner to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me too, I'm a big um, believer in if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So, you know, it's not the right time for me now to be in a relationship and have a family as I had once thought I would. But I'm also incredibly fortunate to be in the position where I can manage this on my own because, you know, it's not it's not easy. It's definitely certainly been a lot tougher than what I thought it would be, to be honest. I probably didn't give it enough credit before I started. But equally, financially, it's challenging. You know, I've got to think about what that's like financially on my own moving forward um, and again what's my support network because you naturally when you've got a partner you've at least got someone to a um, you know troubleshoot when things get tough but also celebrate the wins with so I think that's yeah. something that I've already noticed early on you know when you go to the appointments on your own or you hit different milestones it's quite different when you're on your own to when you're in a relationship I think so it's just navigating all those different things I think. Thank yeah. you for your honesty about that. How did you find the process of the IVF? Uh, actually quite good. I think one, I connected really well with my specialist, which I think is key. You absolutely have to be able to, I, I just had automatically from the first appointment had an amazing trust with her. So, and she said to me from day one, you know, you, you're unlikely to get pregnant the first time. This will be a journey. I personally hate the word journey. Um, but you know, you're young, you're fit, you will get pregnant. And I'm sitting there thinking, please, I will get pregnant the first time. There is no worry here. <laughs> I plan on A starring this. Yeah. So. Excuse me. <laughs> Generally, if I put my mind to something, I will achieve it. I will be getting pregnant. <laughs> well, anyway, it didn't work out that way. So she was really good actually. So you the process is you don't well, I couldn't go straight to IVF because technically I was healthy enough. And because I didn't have a partner, I had to demonstrate that I had been trying. So you do what's called IUI, which is essentially a, a fancy way of saying turkey baster, where you try that twice and you've got to fail that twice before you go to IVF. When, when we were going for, through the first process, she said to me, now, you know, the success rates of IUI are 15 to 18%. Well, I nearly fell out of the chair thinking how do people get pregnant on a one-night stand how are there I mean, so many people <laughs> unbelievable um but she she was great in terms of um you know managing all the hormones managing my expectations on that it's it's a big process of lots and lots of injections blood tests and scans um I also decided to start this journey in June 2020 so we're mid-lockdown in Melbourne where you can't live a 5k radius so, you know, also interesting timing. Um, mm. She talked me through, although the whole clinic, you get a lot of support. So you have two counselling sessions up front around one, your, your decision around doing it and have you told people what's your support network, but also then in selecting a donor. And I, again, before I went through the process, probably didn't appreciate what was involved in that. Things like, you know, are you open to what happens if they disclose a quite large mental health history would that bother you uh, if it's a mixed race baby how how would you connect with the race on the father's side what does that look like for you and these were all things that I was like oh yes yeah, don't know no problem I had not it hadn't even entered in my mind not because I hadn't thought about selecting a donor that was a different ethnicity to me but more that I hadn't thought about it because it just would never be a thing that I think about you know yeah yeah, just, you just go, you pick some yeah. the sperm goes in, you have a baby, yeah, right? No problem. <laughs> but, but I found the whole process very easy. I did it all by telehealth. So I think it would have been 
quite different. I mean, all those counselling sessions, I think it would have been quite different being able to go on face-to-face. I just think you connect with people differently rather than over the phone. But anyway, we lined it up. We did the first one and then you wait two weeks. They tell you not to do an at-home pregnancy test. Of course, I did about 15. The amount of money I've spent on pregnancy tests in this process (laughs) is a lot. But I had convinced myself I was pregnant. And then I did the pregnancy test right before I needed to chair a meeting. Don't do that. Okay. Ever. (laughs) Just a hint Um, for anyone thinking about it at home. Yep. That's a good lesson learned. And I was not pregnant. Uh, And I have never felt such a wave of emotions in all my days. It was like uncontrollable. And I think that was almost shocking me more. Um, Two of my very good friends then... Uh, of course, we couldn't see each other because we're all locked in a 5K radius. Um, but, you know, it was great to have them for support because at this point, I hadn't actually let the family know that I was trying and had decided to to not disclose that because we were mid-COVID. We couldn't see each other. It was just, I, you know, kind of preferred to do it on my own. And I guess the um, incessant questions as well of like... Yeah, yeah. And just, and, and just the worry. Like, then you yeah. suddenly have to deal with your own emotions, but also think about how other people are worrying about you. And I was surprised at how long that disappointment sat with me. Mm. So uh, I, I was not prepared for that. And again, you know, I've got good people in my life to talk through it with. But I was really surprised at how much, what an impact that was. But very quickly, you, you the good news is um, you can start again two weeks later. So, so roll on the next cycle. And the next cycle, I was much more prepared for what that would be like. And in fact, I had prepped myself that it would be a negative and I was going to IVF. So by that point, this was just more another box that I had to tick. It was another month that I had to go to. No baby was going to come, but it was okay because then we go to IVF, Yeah, which was the case. So I then proceeded straight to IVF. Um, you need to select a different donor when it comes oh, to IVF. that's interesting. Why is that? Hmm. Different sperm quality, I think. Uh... Um, so in IVF, it doesn't matter how fast they swim because they put them in, obviously, and actually make the embryo in the little Petri dish, whereas with the turkey baster, they actually have to swim and do some work. So I'm not actually sure that that's 100% factual, but that's my rationale. Oh, we'll, roll, we'll roll with it. I'm willing to take your word for it. <laughs> so maybe don't take that as a great assault. But um, again, for me, I had selected a... Chinese donor the first time around and found a beautiful donor that's um, Chinese Malaysian background in the second round which I was really happy with because I felt a weird connection to my first donor even though you just read a a handwritten letter and template Um, so it was really nice to find that same feeling and connection about how kind they were and and the reasons of why they were donating second time around because I think I would struggle if I hadn't been able to connect the same way. Hmm. Um, so anyway, then you go to IVF, it's it's exactly the same process, essentially. Lots of hormones to stimulate your ovaries to grow lots of eggs. And then you go in, you have a general anesthetic to have them taken out. The average amount that people get collected in a cycle is 10. I had 28. Where's um, it? Yep, there was a lot going on in there. Uh, <laughs> It was very uncomfortable, Um, but it it was amazing because for me, that meant that 18 got fertilized and six were of a high enough quality to freeze, which is an amazing result because, you know, sometimes people might get one or two, but, but obviously for me, at least I felt fairly confident hearing that, that it would mean out of that six, I would be able to get pregnant. So it would be pretty unlucky to have all six fail and have to do it again. Mm. So in my head, I was like, this is great. It still might take a few more months, but at at least I've got enough in storage. And then I had to have a month off because I was so overstimulated that they couldn't um, implant one. So I did the first one in November um, and found out Christmas Eve that that one didn't take, which was again, a bit of a bitter blow, not quite as bad as the first time around, but certainly worse than the second and more because I knew my chances were better. I had just assumed that IVF would work. I also had it in my head that I would be telling the family on Christmas that I'm pregnant. Yeah, I was about to ask, did your family know at that point? No, so I still didn't know. Um, I had told my older sister. So I told my older sister when I went in for the general anesthetic to get them collected. 
only because I thought suddenly, gosh, if something goes wrong and none of them know, they're going to have to get that phone call. And that's terrible. Yeah, that's so I better tell Sam. <laughs> I bequeath all of the responsibility to you. To you. <laughs> um, so she knew and, you know, she's been great through the whole thing. Um, but went again straight away in January um, and was very fortunate to, for the first time, see a positive pregnancy test um, and then proceeded to probably do about 65 more to check twice a day, every day that it was still in there until I had the scans and the blood test and then started experiencing morning sickness, which has been oddly comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, at least you know, at least you know your baby's rocking on in there. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so how many months pregnant are you now? When are you due? I am officially 12 weeks today um, and due in the middle of October. How have you dealt with other people's judgments? Have you come up across any people who are surprised, judgmental, asking you very inappropriate questions? <laughs> Not asking inappropriate questions, but I think quite early on, I probably overcompensated a tad. Generally, I'd say I'm quite an open person, but certainly I was very conscious from the minute I decided to try that at some point, I was going to be pregnant and have to tell people in my world who know that I'm not in a relationship. So straight away up front, you know, I'd be having a cup of tea with someone. Oh, so I'm thinking about having a baby on my own <laughs> and just drop it in every time I could, um, which, which is odd, right? Because if you're in a relationship and you're trying to have a baby, you don't announce it every time you have a cup of tea with someone. Um, but I felt like I was really oversharing. It's quite a weird, uh, yeah, it's quite, it's quite weird. I think I would never be like that if I was in a relationship. But for some reason, I felt like I really needed to justify mm. and also then not have to explain when I am pregnant, how I got pregnant, which quite frankly is actually nobody's business anyway. No. But the people, I mean, obviously only a few people have known up until today and they've all been great and they have been very supportive and also knew that I was thinking about it. I did tell a colleague late last week and the first reaction was, I didn't realize you were in a relationship. Yeah. I was like, oh no, I'm not I'm doing it on my own. And then you see this weird, oh God, now I don't know how to look at you. And where am I going to stare my eyes? And oh, I've God. got too many questions and I don't oh, know. How to oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm expecting a bit of that for sure. I think it is, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. yeah. I feel, I mean, let's be honest, we all still, yeah, we all still come from a world where in order to, have a baby, you're in a relationship. And even if that relationship isn't working out, the father is around you somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you most nervous about when it comes to single parenting? Giving birth, number one. Are you going to have <laughs> someone with you? Is this coming over? Yeah, definitely. So my mum and older sister are keen to come. I mean, COVID and bubble dependent, obviously. Um, but otherwise, I've still got a lot of great people in my life, but I'm just generally nervous about the experience that that might be yeah. um but then I think for me it's more I just want the kid to grow up feeling super confident in themselves and just being a genuinely great person so I want them to feel like they are part of a great family and that you know they're so loved no matter what I would hate to think that they feel less of something because they don't have two parents. I am pretty conscious and I'm really starting to think about because obviously they will be half Chinese Malaysian. So how do I really bring that culture in for them? Because I think that's super important. I'm also quite conscious that they might not look a whole lot like me. So I don't want them to ever feel judged or any less, um, you know, and I like to think the world's a different place now from when I was a kid. So I'd like to think that there are lots of different ways to make a family these days and lots of different families that exist. So they're unlikely to be their only one in the class that doesn't come from a family that's made up of a mother and a father. Mm. You know, I think there's, I think the world is so different now, which is great. I certainly intend on being very open with them around what the situation is um, and how they've come about and equally it was really important to me that the donor was open to meeting them which they are so I, I don't feel a big need to do that day one but certainly if the child's growing up and feels that they want to connect I, I would never hesitate to stop that.
does the donor have any rights? Can the donor choose to meet you and the child? No, it's got to, it's got to be on my terms or the child's terms once they turn 16, I think it is, possibly right. 18. They don't have any rights. You do have to be a bit careful, which they take you through in the counselling process, that, you know, it, it very much is a donor relationship. And in Victoria, they don't get paid to be donors and there's quite a big screening process. So the pool isn't large. Um, they can donate up to 10 different families. So you think there can be multiple children out of those wow. 10 families. You know, like even for me, I've still got four embryos on ice, so I could technically have five children to the one donor. Um, but I can reach out at any time. There, there, was, there is an option that they also don't want to connect. Um, and that, that would have been a deal breaker for me, only because I wouldn't want to ever be in the situation where they couldn't meet if they wanted to. Yeah, if your child turned around one day and said, I really want to know a bit more about my... Yeah, yeah. So I think the thing that they tell you to be careful with is just how much and what that relationship becomes. So if, for example, it became a real regular um, meet and greet and almost part-time parenting function, then the donor could probably claim rights through the legal system. So you do just have to be a bit conscious, you know, particularly for me because... I may one day relocate to New Zealand. I would never want to be in the situation where they're now saying you can't leave. What are you most excited about, about becoming a mum? Oh my God, all of it. <laughs> um, I think the big one is traditions, like just mm. setting up our little unit and what, what our little things are going to be. You know, what do you do on birthdays and Christmas Eve and Easter? And I still have very fond memories growing up of, of little things that we did. And I've got no rhyme or reason as to why we did them, but you know, the Saturday night fish and chip night and, and just little things that were so great for me growing up. I'm super excited to be able to teach them things and, and get them into hopefully things that I love too, so we can do them together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that you don't look like me, but please share my hobbies. I know, but please don't just want to play computer games all day. Yeah. <laughs> Boring for me. <laughs> but I think, and, and just being able to I don't know. I just think because I've got a really great relationship with my parents and I had a really great relationship with my grandparents. So it's super important to me that my child does too. And I don't know, I think there's just something great about leaving a bit of a legacy in the world. And what advice would you give to anyone who is maybe thinking about following the same path and becoming a mother on their own without a partner? I would say a thousand percent just do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not something you enter into lightly. Like I think I, um, you know, I had thought about this for a long time and certainly done a lot of research into it, particularly the finances. I think that is a bit of a hidden thing. Um, you know, often you'll see the cost for IVF, but actually what's not included in that is the anaesthetic, the daybed cost, all the medications. You know, there's, there is a lot. So I think for me also, it was really important that I was in a position financially where I wasn't going to have to stop start. I wanted to be able to keep going until I was pregnant. And, and you know, not, not everyone's in that position at all by any means. So, so people will do what works for them, but I would just be aware of, of what's going on. And then I think you've just, I would be saying you need to be comfortable, as, comfortable enough in yourself to be open about it. Yeah. Because I think otherwise it will be really hard. You know, I, I know that there'll be times where I need to ask for help where I'm going to need to ask for support because I'm on my own. You know, I'm aware that when the child gets sick, you're the only person that can get up to them night after night. You can't share that workload. But for me, the, the joy will outweigh those times. Thank you so much. Your time is so, so appreciated. I know you're an exceptionally busy woman, but I really do think that your story is going to help some other women out there who are, you know, probably facing you know, the end of their reproductive season and thinking about maybe going it alone. So thank you so much. We're going to close really quickly with a quick fire round. Um, I asked these three questions of everybody I interview. So the first one is, what is your fondest memory from the 1980s? It can be a trend, music, fashion, or a TV program. I was born in 1984, so I'm not 100% sure if this is from the 1980s, but 100% full house. We even got that in the UK. That's how great. Oh, yeah, great, great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What's been the biggest difference between your turning 30 and, well, you're not 40 yet. So what has been your the biggest difference between 30 and where you find yourself today? 
I think uh, just significantly more independent, but also 100% sure of who I am and where I'm going. God, isn't that a gift? And someone said to me the other day, would you be 21 again? I was like, absolutely not. Not in a million years. No. Oh, no, I'd be 21 again. Love oh, that. No, I'd look 21 <laughs> again. Um, and then thirdly, what has been your greatest life lesson to date? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think for me, it would be something around really celebrating the wins, but also appreciating the little things, you know, it's the the little things that then they go, like if I reflect on COVID, I didn't realize how much I actually needed my social network until I didn't have it. Mm. So I'd have to say I learned a lot last year in terms of who I was as a person, how to cope, what what my work ethic's like, just just everything about it, um, which I know is probably super cliche because a lot of people say that about COVID. But I, I think it is about also the fact now that I haven't gone home for such a long period of time, you do realise what's important to you and where and where you want to be. And I think for me, I've focused so long on my career, which has been amazing and set me up for a great future. And I, I definitely don't regret it. Um, but I'm also probably less inclined to keep doing that because I also know at the end of the day I could walk away from this job tomorrow and they would replace me and I don't mean that badly but just that's the reality of the world yeah whereas family doesn't get replaced yeah yeah Yeah, so true Jack thank you so very much I really appreciate your time thank you for sharing your story with us and good luck very 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 excited to uh, watch in the wings as you enter motherhood. I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Thanks, Jack. No worries. Thank you. Owning your life right there, isn't she? I loved so much about that interview. Number one, that she has been very considered about her decision. But I think one of the things that I admired the most about her was that she sort of openly said... You know, I spent years concentrating on my career and that's held me in really good stead and it's got her to a very comfortable financial situation. Mm. And by all accounts, she really loves her job and Mm. the work that she does. But then that COVID taught her that that's actually not what's really important because she is disposable in the workplace. And really what is important is family. And because she has concentrated for so long through her fertile years Mm. on her job, she is now in the place where she has to, you know, go down a slightly yeah. unique path because it is still relatively unique that people are having children without partners intentionally. And that's the thing, isn't it? You, If you want a good career and you want to set foundations, you start doing that in your 20s, but then you've kind of wasted the years. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not a, a fertility end. specialist, but... I understand that your sort of peak year is 27. Yeah. And I think in terms of having mm. children and and we all know that your egg quality goes down yeah. past 35 quite dramatically. And again, that's a sweeping statistic. It's not true for everybody. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think in today's society as well, where we have multiple jobs, especially... Mm. Gen Zs will definitely go into a world where they don't just have one job or they don't go to one workplace and stay there for the rest of their lives, that they will be, you know, having side hustles and and all those sorts of things, which we have also had the luxury of having. But I do think that it it has changed the landscape of fertility. Yeah. This idea that, you know, if you want to go hard at your job, that means you have to put off having children until at least into your 30s and probably your mid to late 30s, which is now kind of a bit more complicated. And if you haven't found a partner in that time, then you are going to have to do it alone. Mm. Yeah. So it never occurred to me that if you go and have IVF, then you have this other big decision of choosing the donor. Yeah. And what that looks like. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I'd not even taken that into a consideration. My only reference to that was friends. Do you remember when Monica was gonna go and have a baby? She had she had a plan, her plan, the jam plan, and then she had a baby plan. And she was reading that profile and it turned out to be Joey's. (laughs) (laughs) That was really funny. And Um, that's literally what I thought having a choosing a donor would be like. And so, you know, I hadn't thought about 
disclosing mental health and mm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What I loved is that she's really excited to start making traditions. That was the moment where I was like, oh. My heart sang. So as a kid, what was your family tradition? What can you remember? Oh, I think mainly mine revolved around birthdays and Christmas. Mm. So we were not allowed in my parents' bedroom. Like to this day. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, I would not walk into my father's bedroom until, until I asked him. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The only time that we were allowed in bed with our parents mm. was on Christmas morning. Yeah. When we go downstairs and we pick up our stockings from the fireplace and we run back upstairs and we jump into bed mm. and on birthdays. And if it was your birthday, you got to sit in between mum and dad while you opened your presents. Oh, cute. Yeah. Aww. And so that's probably the thing that I remember the most. Um, mini eggs on the table. My mum would decorate the cute. Easter table with mini eggs on Easter Sunday. Nice. Yeah, I, it was normally around religious holidays and birthdays, mm. our traditions. Yeah, nice. What about you? Um, well, I was always allowed in my mum and dad's bedroom, but Christmas morning, ours was a bit polar opposite. They used to give us this tiny little miniature tree, which now looking back was probably... Thrifty. Yeah. And I was allowed to sleep in my brother's room, and we used to wake up, and there'd be little presents under the tree. And then we'd have to stay in that room and play with those presents until my parents woke up and then said permission to go downstairs to the big tree. That is just great parenting. I know. Apart from one year when we broke the rule, <gasps> went downstairs. What happened? And there was a giant pool table in the room. No. Yeah, we were in trouble because all they wanted was to see our faces. You when ruined we ruined your parents' Christmas. Yeah. And then another Christmas tradition, which I loved, and I still do this if I ever have people for dinner at Christmas. My mum, instead of having placemats where everyone should sit, you had a little present with your name on it. Oh, that's too cute. Yeah, so you all got like a table present. Oh. Yeah. I want to go to Jane's for Christmas. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Mm. I can now see us doing a tradition together of table presents, but we're just going to outdo each other every year. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the table? Because Emily's just showered it with gifts. Well, your table present is just a set of keys <laughs> to a Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> um, so back to Jack. Yes. Um, so I love the tradition and you could just hear the joy of it in her voice that she was so excited yes. to have a tradition and to bring and to nurture that relationship. Yeah. I, do you know that was one of, uh, and again this kind of reflects back to the conversation we were having before the interview, like you have to choose your hard. It's like also understanding that I'm more and more allowing myself and giving myself permission to grieve all of the things that I won't have as a mother. Mm. Like I can be strong and certain in my current decision as it stands at the moment who knows what tomorrow brings but as it stands at the moment my decision is not to have children and I'm allowed to be sure about that decision and be really sad about some of the stuff that that decision means yes. you know not carrying on the family tradition of mm. mini eggs on the Easter table yeah you know that's there's a sadness to that Absolutely. I am sad that I'm not going to be a mother or know what that level mm. of love or that unique type of love feels like I can hypothesize that of all the horrendous parts of parenthood but I'm also allowed to hypothesize all of the beautiful parts of parenthood and I think sometimes in our society we're very quick to label everything as good or bad or right or wrong or negative or positive and we do forget that you know the law of polarity exists and we can hold two opposing experiences mm. at the same time, I can be sure of my decision not to have children and desperately sad about the fact that yeah. I have made that decision in the same breath. And you or I, neither of us grew up going, I'm never going to have children. No. I hate children. We don't hate children. We love children. Love children. But, and forgive me because I'm speaking for you as well, but we've just, if I'd have met a guy five or six years ago who was the love of my life, and I just thought, you are going to be the most amazing father in the world. You're never going to leave me. We're going to do life together. When it gets hard, we're going to choose our hard. Mm -hmm. Then I probably would have had a child. But Same. that didn't happen for me. And I didn't want to do it on my own. Same. Um, and, and, now I'm, and now I just feel like meeting somebody, waiting a couple of years to work out whether or not they would be an appropriate 
father mm. <laughs> or even a year yeah you know like and then another nine months and then another nine months so and I'm probably what? three months trying so that's two years yeah so now I'm 42 and you know and tired I'm really bloody tired and want to go skiing yeah and also really used to living this life where I can be impulsive all mm. of my money is my own yeah I have well, a, a lot really. of well, no, Theodore, Theodore takes up a lot of it. I have pantry. a lot of freedom and I have a lot of quiet and a lot mm. of downtime. And and my my energy has become very sacred to me. Mm. So, you know, and uh, on the flip of that, again, I can also see how when you love someone as much as a mother is said to love her child, yeah. that stuff becomes inconsequential. Uh, you know, you choose your heart. Yeah. Just I chose mine. Thought I'd be friends with you. Well, eh? <laughs> it's pretty hard oh, at I times. Oh, I think that. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> that was the wrong one. That's what I wanted. You know, we can put anything on those buttons. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, we just need to like yeah. upload it or something. Oh, great. Yeah, we'll get Ryan to do it. So, why don't we ask some listeners to message in um, really oh, yeah. good things we could put on there? What sound effects? Yeah, like sound effects. Farts. A whoopee cushion. Oh, I loved a whoopee cushion. Oh, my God. Whoopee cushions remind me of my Uncle Bob. Oh, he everyone was needed an Uncle prankster. Bob. Yeah, he was such a fun, fun uncle. He died on oh. April Fool's Day. Oh, which, legend. Which is yeah. just such a... Ironic. It just yeah. absolutely explains my Uncle Bob. Cute. Yeah. On that note... Yeah, we've been talking for a really long time. I'll see you next week, chabon. See you, bye. Love ya. Maybe. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unashamedly 40, a special short series briefly interrupting my Unashamedly Human podcast. If you've loved this episode, please share it with your mates, rate and review, and head to the show notes to get in touch. Thanks for listening. <laughs>